nice to see all of you this morning. Thank you for coming. I'd like to speak about uh, gratitude today. Gratitude as not just a, a felt sense of something, but also as a, as a practice that, um, that we can take up and that we can uh, actually cultivate. And I wrote a little bit about this in the, in the message I wrote for the newsletter um, last week. Um, the kind of the seed of this talk was born during my recent experience uh, with perhaps COVID, COVID-like symptoms. And I was, uh, you, know, you know, up here at the monastery. So I quarantined in my room for, for five days. Fortunately, uh, I was uh, mild and in a few days I started feeling better. But the experience of, the, of those five days was uh, really illuminating. You know, people, uh, all the other monks were taking care of me. My meals were brought to me, my dishes taken away. Um, I realized what a, you know, I, what a radically dependent being I was. And I think normally when I've had, uh, you know, well, not normally, sometimes I'll say, when I have uh, a flash of that recognition of, of my kind of dependence on others, it, it might arouse shame or some kind of feeling of self-pity. Um, and this time it didn't, which was surprising given the fact that I was sick and normally self-pity is really available. And it, and it wasn't, I, I felt gratitude instead. Um, gratitude for uh, all the care that I was uh, receiving, uh, the nourishment that was brought to my door and gratitude for the, uh, the conversations I was having, you know, ac across the door uh, with people in my house, you know, the latest news. Um, I started thinking about I was reading during that time, I, I was reading about uh, the anchorites, which were these uh, kind of like hermits in medieval Europe, mostly in England and Germany, that uh, were different than hermits in that they actually lived, they were sealed in this cell that was adjoining the church. Tiny cell, usually about 12 feet by 15 feet. 
with uh, two openings. One opening on the wall that faced the church, this little opening called the squint, where they could actually see the altar. They could see the, the Eucharist. And the other opening uh, where they would receive food. And I was, I was curious about that kind of life. I was kind of imagining what, it, what that would be like to live that way for 30 years, not just five days. And I imagined You know, I, I want to do actually some more research on those on those people. Mostly they were women um, who took up that kind of life. Um, Julian of Norwich is probably the most famous one and she wrote the, the earliest writing attributed to a woman in English called Revelation of Divine, Divine Love. And I... Um, I'm curious about uh, the revelation of gratitude in those writings and how much the gratitude came through the squint and how much came through the door where she was being offered food and nourishment. When I emerged from quarantine, I was still, uh, I kind of, I was kind of filled up with this gratitude as I re-entered uh, gradually back into the schedule. And I started take, taking up gratitude as a as an actual practice. You know, in the quarantine, the gratitude was kind of this lifeline to the rest of the Sangha. I realized my dependence on them. And I realized myself as a Yeah, as a fully conditioned being in those moments. And the gratitude that was born kind of went both ways. It went outward towards the people that were taking care of me, but I also started to be able to turn that gratitude towards my own uh, I'll say my own conditioning. So the, the gratitude, once I was able to sense it, uh, it, it grew, it, it overflowed a bit. And so this past week I've been taking up gratitude as uh, a quality that I can actually arouse. 
instead of it just being something that's visited on me because of something that happens. I've noticed that I can have, I can arouse gratitude for something, for a being, for, I'm looking at Milo and Molly right now, dogs. And I can, you know, I, I see them and I can, I can touch into the quality of gratitude. I can almost like, I know what gratitude feels like and I can look at them and I can kind of trace back to the sensation of what gratitude feels like for them. And once I do that and I can feel that the felt sense in the body, kind of warmth, um, there's almost a sensation of it I keep using the word overflowing, but I, I am able to experience the gratitude beyond Milo and Molly. So maybe it's like a distinction between uh, gratitude for an object and what I'll call objectless, an objectless gratitude. that's not dependent on a specific uh, focus of it, of the gratitude. I also practiced, you know, once I kind of made these connections, I started testing it out. So I would, in, in Zazen, for example, I started to notice that when I aroused gratitude, when I aroused that felt sense, that it was impossible to uh, grasp. So like if I have, if I arouse gratitude for Molly, That's one thing, but then if I start grasping at the idea of Molly or uh, you know, wishing Molly would come and sit on my lap or something or come here or be next to me, once I start grasping at that, I notice that the uh, gratitude was cut off, it was blocked. And they couldn't coexist. The grasping and the gratitude couldn't coexist in the same moment, which I thought was really, it was became a really interesting litmus test for me. Um, so like I noticed when I aroused gratitude, it was difficult to grasp. And then I noticed that when I was in Zazen, kind of on my you know, normal, just, thinking thoughts and following, following after them, um, 
that when I caught myself and returned to grat gratitude uh, practice, that the, uh, the clinging abated. So that was, that's been a really interesting um, thing I've taken up this week. So I've been practicing in Zazen. I was practicing it yesterday in the kitchen, chopping garlic. Um, and in a way it almost didn't matter what the object of the gratitude was. I could almost kickstart it with, with anything. Gratitude for the smell of garlic on my hands, It brought me back into, uh, well, it brought me back into relationship to what I was doing. And it also brought me back from, it brought me from here down to the heart, from the head down to the heart. Um, because of this quality of it being a kind of an antidote to grasping. And so every time I would remember this, it, I kind of sank down and this field opened up of uh, non-separation and my connectedness. Which is you know, which is always the case. Um, and the gratitude was just functioning as like this um, really uh, uh, effective reminder of that. You know, Martin Luther King says, we live in an inescapable network of mutuality. And I really love the word inescapable because that was really the, the sense of when I opened up to a sense of gratitude or appreciation, the message I was getting was like, it's always this way. It's always this way. And I just needed to be reminded of it. Another thing that I've been noticing about uh, cultivating gratitude and I'll, I'll say appreciation also. I think there's, there's similar quality of gratitude and appreciation uh, is it allows me to kind of widen my capacity to meet other things that, I, that might not incite gratitude or appreciation. 
you know, we have a, uh, here at the monastery, we have a weekly staff meeting uh, on Wednesdays. And, you know, everybody kind of checks in, the director and the kitchen and the garden and the, the Eno. And, and then we have a list of agenda items, which can range from, you know, really kind of serious things with far reaching implications like COVID protocols to, you know, these minute things like where are we gonna put the sponge in the kitchen or uh, yeah, the whole range. And we always start the staff meeting, uh, or not always, most of the times we do, we start with uh, uh, appreciation. So everybody goes around and says something that they're grateful for or that they appreciate. Um, I usually have to think of something in advance. So I'm like, so it's like prepared. <laughs> but I've noticed the difference in the quality of the staff meeting when we do the appreciation in the beginning and when we don't. And it's really stark. There's something about um, not just arousing gratitude in yourself, but the collective experience of everybody bringing their appreciation and gratitude to the group that seems to create this spaciousness and uh, capacity to uh, go through the agenda. Um, in a much more kind way, I think. So there's this kind of a uh, heart opening and uh, I think it, because it, it kickstarts in everybody, the, re the realization of our uh, collectivity, of our connectedness. And uh, something that in another context might be uh, you know, an irritation or feel like something's petty or something, that same thing gets held in a much wider field so that's been uh, miraculous to watch. Um, I also, uh, when I started thinking about this and thinking about the talk, I also thought of uh, Darlene Cohen, who is a, a teacher that uh, many of you may know. And she had rheumatoid arthritis and she has a lot of teachings on, on pain and how to practice with physical, emotional pain. And there's one passage where she's talking about walking down the, you know, I think she's walking to 
city center in San Francisco and her foot is in a lot of pain and you know, her arthritic foot. And she noticed that when she was walking, the experience of the, you know, when her foot made contact with the street, with the sidewalk, that was the, that was the high point of the pain. And that just kind of overtook the entire experience of walking. And she noticed when she was able to include in her awareness the times when her foot was moving through the air. There was these moments where it was the pain was released. And there was this opening where she was enabled enabled to able to uh, let maybe even a a drop of appreciation for her foot that did not hurt in that moment. And it, she was gradually able just to kind of widen her awareness to include her pain, but so much more. So I think she says, you know, instead of her her pain being one of 10 things in her experience, it was one of a thousand things. And so again, this kind of, uh, this kind of active power of gratitude and appreciation to widen the field of our experience. And the last part of the last aspect of of gratitude that I wanted to open up and talk about was the relationship of gratitude to impermanence. And I think this is related to the function I was speaking of earlier in terms of gratitudes, gratitude as uh, an antidote to grasping or uh, as something that can't exist together with, with grasping. And so in my experience, when I'm noticing this feeling of, of gratitude come up, 
for an activity or for something that happened or even again if it's a kind of an objectless sense of gratitude or appreciation uh, they're included in that felt sense is almost a recognition of uh, fleeting fleetingness or impermanence poignancy um, I remember the expression satitude satitude Kosin did you coin that Remember, I, said it, I, <laughs> I remember at one point Kosin, uh, I don't know if he came up with it or, um, but satitude, which I think uh, captures really well this sense of uh, gratitude and an awareness of the ephemeral nature of everything. And going back to Molly again, my gratitude for Molly includes with it an understanding of Molly's impermanence. When I try to deny the impermanence or wish it away or something again that this kind of wall comes down and the gratitude's cut off and i think that applies also to my, like my attitude or my orientation to my own uh, karmic patterns, my own karmic inheritance. I'm, I remember once, uh, I think I've said this before in a Dharma talk, I said in the past year sometime, that I, I think the sentence I said was, I'm grateful for my karma. And I meant it when I said that. There was a quality of uh, appreciation, gratitude for almost the way I've come to be based on all these conditions. And that included <clears throat> gratitude for family, gratitude for um, biological ancestors, um, a, a real sense like this is uh, you know, 
I'm, I'm the way I am because the whole universe has conspired to make me who I am in this moment, inescapably, inescapably. And there was a sense of gratitude in that. Even as I knew that all these causes and conditions are dynamic and are in flux and are even now in a process of changing and unfolding and some patterns dying away, others being reinforced. All of that was, I was able to bring a sense of gratitude to that whole process. So almost like a sense of gratitude for the whole house that's been built even as the house is, even as walls are falling down and the roof is shaking and the ridge pole splintering, even as that's happening, a sense of gratitude for everything that went into making that house in the first place. I wanted to kind of uh, I'd like to end with this uh, verse uh, from Lao Tzu from the Tao Te Ching, and I want to thank uh, Chun for bringing this verse to my attention. And let me see if I can find it. And this is uh, one translation of the verse. Heaven and earth are not humane. Seeing, seeing the 10,000 things as straw dogs. And this first, the first line, heaven and earth are not humane. Uh, is uh, another way of saying is, Heaven and earth are impartial, or they're not, the heaven and earth are not taking sides. Or another way of saying is like the functioning of the universe um, is not kind of involved in. Uh, pros and cons. Seeing the 10,000 things as straw dogs. And the straw dogs I learned were these, uh, I guess you could say there were these figurines that were made of dogs out of straw 
that were put on the altar during uh, during Taoist ritual. And at the end of the ritual, they were cast into the fire. So they were um, thrown away. So these, my, the reading that I took from this was that these straw dogs are uh, almost like they know beforehand that these are going to be cast into the fire. But before that, they're, uh, they're sacred objects. They're on an altar. They're adored. And they're paid respect. And Um, and that includes the again that it includes the fact that they are going to be dissolved and burned and destroyed and end. So what would it mean to see the ten thousand things in that way? fleeting, passing, but sacred. Fleeting, passing, and sacred. So I would like to, to close, I would like to invite everybody to uh, take this up as a practice, explore the dimensions of gratitude, to uh, explore the efficacy of gratitude um, explore the, uh, the power of gratitude as being both a cause and a result of realizing non-separation and uh, interconnectedness. And maybe first, most concretely, explored in Zazen. How could we bring gratitude to bear in this moment in, in meditation? What is, and when we notice it, we notice, when we notice it, where do we feel it in the body?
Where does an idea of gratitude become a felt sense of gratitude? Or maybe just notice it, notice when uh, gratitude comes up in, in your daily life. For me, it took uh, five days of quarantine to kind of bring it up. And then I had to kind of reverse engineer it. I don't have to wait for gratitude to happen to me. There are opportunities to practice it now and let it kind of fluoresce in the heart. Thank you. May our intention equally... Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.